That's a spicy meatball. Welcome back to Bizarre Podcast, Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant. You can call him Chip. And today we are talking about the next two episodes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Golden Wind. It's only two episodes this time, but it's a big two episodes. <laughs> uh, it's momentous. Momentous. It's, uh, uh, yeah. It's the final mission from the boss. This is everything that's been happening for the last, like, third of the show. Mm-hmm. We meet the boss, sort of. Sort of. This is one of the rare episodes where it just starts immediately with the OP and no lead mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. to it. So you know something is different about it. Both of them do and neither have the end credit sequence. Yep. They got to <laughs> they gotta get as much time out of these episodes as they can. So so after the OP, the, the whole crew is taking their little motorboat through the canals of Venice while Bruno is inside the turtle and is actually like looking at this disc and the instructions contained within... Yeah. So, yeah, they they slot this disc in. It contains a message from the boss that was written around the time they picked up the turtle, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, there's all this preamble about, like, I don't know how many people are still after you. I don't know how many of you there still are by the time you read this. And, and you know, giving his thanks and, and congratulations for making it this far. And, and while all that is happening, they, they dr- their boat passes beneath the Rialto Bridge, which is the oldest bridge over the Grand Canal of Venice, completed in the year 1591. Mm. And this this message continues to go on to basically give them like the final drop-off location for Trish, mm-hmm, where the mm-hmm. boss will be, and there's a whole bunch of rules they have to follow or else they're dead, basically. If failure to comply to the letter will be punished as an overt betrayal. <laughs> Even by accident. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So so they're going to this island. San Giorgio Maggiore. Jojo no Giorgio. <laughs> and so when they reach this island, there's this you know, big ornate building there, and it ha- there's a bell tower there. So only one person is allowed to escort Trish into the building mm-hmm. and take this bell tower all the way to the top. There's no stairs. You have to ride an elevator to the top. Mm-hmm. You cannot have any objects on you, phones, guns, anything. Empty pockets, just like visiting a, a pulpo, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else in the team has to stay in the boat. They cannot even step one foot onto the island. And one of the rules, I don't know why this is an enumerated rule, but one of the rules is that the disc is a tracking device, and so you know the boss is watching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think they only have 15 minutes to do this. So if they mm-hmm. like linger around at all, they're dead. Uh, so, so yeah, they, they sail over to, uh, it, it's sort of an outer island in Venice. Uh, this is the part of real Venice that I think is meant to be closest to uh, uh, Air Supply Island. Oh, so if shit. you want to call back up, come on. <laughs> yeah, who, who's hanging out there these days? <laughs> is it Loggins? Did is Lisa he the Lisa... dead one? I forget. Oh, right. Did Lisa Lisa have any more kids? Like... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we need. More on this weird-ass family tree. Sure, sure, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so before we go farther, uh, like I said, this episode is about meeting the boss, sort of. We yeah. will not see his face. We will not get his name. But he's going to talk to us enough that I think it's time we do actor notes for the boss. Yep. Uh, his English voice is Overhaul in My Hero Academia and various Freddies in the Five Nights at Freddy's series. <laughs> various Freddies. We, we also heard him briefly in Diamond is Unbreakable as Papa Nijimura. Oh, okay. 
Uh, while, oh my god, the boss's Japanese voice is just been in everything. <laughs> uh, uh, really hard to narrow down what to talk about. So here's what I came, uh, so here's what I settled on. Uh, he, he was uh, Kamina in Gurren Lagan. Okay. Lloyd in Tales of Symphonia and oh, the wow. as- uh, associated anime. Oh, wow. Uh, he voiced Jonathan Joestar in the 2007 Phantom Blood film. Huh. And he dubbed for Lucas Black in The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Oh my god. That's that's a pretty diverse set of of guys there he's voiced. Damn. Which, when you think about it, is basically the plot to Golden Wind. <laughs> Golden Wind and Tokyo Drift are the same story. Just one has more bugs and snakes. <laughs> we need more stand users that have cars as stands. We only ever got Wheel of Fortune... Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. sucked. We need a good car stand. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the whole Bruno Cruno has arrived on the island, and they're taking a moment to, like, reminisce. Now they're like, yeah, we made it. We're here. We're all done. And Mista breaks out his Zagat's Guide to Fine Dining to, to talk about <laughs> how nice it's going to be to just chill in Venice for a while. And Bruno stomps his foot down like, we're not fucking done yet. Stop thinking about food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They still have this final task to do, and someone's got to escort Trish. And of course, Jorno volunteers. Yeah. He wants to be the guy. He wants to be side by side with the boss and fuck him up real bad to death. Yep. But turn his shoes into piranhas. Yes. You cannot stop him. Yes. Turn the clothes into venomous snakes. <laughs> make make his belt a snake if he's got a belt. Well, we know that uh, the boss seems to just hang around in in throw blankets in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, of course, Obakio scolds him for his insolence, and Bruno takes the job uh, uh, because, you know, it is his job. He's the capo, after all. Yeah. And this whole time, they're getting watched by a stray cat. Is that significant? No. It's just cute. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, there, there's a couple, like, knowing glances that both Giorno and, and Bruno give each other, like, yep, this is it. Mm-hmm. Sorry that I got to go do this. <laughs> instead of you but here we go um but before bruno leaves he asks Jorno, like hey can i take one of your giant ladybug buttons on your your shirt <laughs> as a charm for good luck and and Jorno takes the hint and is like yeah here you go and he gives it a little bit of a live touch yeah so that it's like pumping and throbbing why is your jewelry throbbing it's not <laughs> something it's supposed to do but apparently this will allow it to be used as a, a homing beacon and in the future the the <laughs> in future scenes Giorno will use bruno's laptop to track him on like a fucking dwarf fortress ascii ass map <laughs> yeah of yeah. the, the, the church on this island just because he's wearing a living button what what program is installed on this laptop <laughs> why does it have star trek ass life sign detectors <laughs> i always thought it was just Jorno having a connection to the living things he's made like he can feel what where they are what they're doing okay okay so he's i th- yeah like he's doing it just by sense of just the sense of where the button itself is. So he's like closing his eyes and focusing on the button and then comparing that to the floor plan that they have on the, the crime laptop, yeah. the laptop of crime. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Wild plan. But Bruno and Trish 
go into the 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 cathedral here completely empty inside and before they leave or right as they're leaving there's an interesting like character note from fugo because he's still thinking about the future and how like Mm. what this will do for their esteem within the organization yeah like fugo is the the ultimate loner he didn't want to join because he's a danger to, to himself and others but now he's not only a team player he's a true believer in the greater mafia in in passione at large mm-hmm yeah as as you get kind of a long extended scene of Bruno and Trish just kind of walking down the hallways and stuff, just in silence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In this this huge church, in this monastery, the size of Moria. <laughs> I looked up pictures of this thing. That's exactly right. The, the scale <laughs> is correct. Oh, wow. Okay. They, uh, they, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, <laughs> So, so this this uh, building they're in, it was completed in the year 1610. However, the bell tower uh, uh, is a bit more recent. It was completed in mm. 1791. Okay, yeah, I've always forgotten to to look up this building to see like if it was accurate because you know we've had one or two instances in the in the past of these landmarks like being real landmarks but just in the wrong place mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. the wrong scale or whatever. When they are in areas open to the public, for which f- reference photos might be available, <laughs> right? Remarkably accurate. Yeah, yeah. They're walking deeper in, and they find the elevator. The doors have been left open. Mm-hmm. There's and like Bruno's checking everything out, and Trish is clearly not happy about the whole thing. Yeah, she is off in a corner, like just in a little ball, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like shaking in fear. Even up uh, to that point, she's not in. She's not anxious. She's not really excited. Clearly, like yeah. if she is a link to this boss who is so focused on anonymity, is he going to kill her? <laughs> Will she be locked away forever? Yeah, Trish is very scared about what's going to happen to her uh, next. And she voices those concerns. Yeah, once they get to the elevator. Meanwhile, there are more cats that have appeared at the dock. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're just hanging out. They want fish. I hear this guy makes fish, and this other guy just shoots fish. You don't even have to catch him. <laughs> and so Bruno tries to comfort Trish by trying to give her an idea of what might happen next, which is like, well, you're going to have to change your identity and your name, and you might have to get plastic surgery to change your face. Yeah. His, his assumption is that this plan is some sort of extreme witness protection program. Yeah. That's what he's been working on. That's the assumption he's been working on this whole time. Yeah. But he promises that she will be happy and, and like, offers her a hand to stand up and she slaps it away. Yeah. (laughs) And she stands up and she's like, I'm not afraid of fucking nothing. Let's go. I don't need your help. Yeah. She just storms into that elevator. uh, And once the, they start riding the elevator up. Then she does take his hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's very well animated, like hand holding mm-hmm, scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, after she holds his hand, she's just wondering, like, am I gonna like my dad? You know, <laughs> is this gonna be? I've never met him, never known who my dad was. Is this gonna be good for me? And Bruno says something along the lines of, "That's not something families worry about." And Trish is just like, "I, I guess you're right," <laughs> and. Like, ding, the elevator reaches the top, and Bruno goes to look back at Trish, and she's gone, and he's holding on to her severed hand. Mm-hmm. It keeps happening. It, it keeps, keeps happening. happening. 
So so he uh, uh, is shocked. He looks around. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there's a hole in the ceiling of this elevator car. Uh, uh, and Bruno starts to wonder if if his job was indeed just to deliver Trish to the boss to kill her yeah. <laughs> all along. And so we hit our mid-episode title card. And it is the boss's four rules for this meeting in yep. like a helpful handy diagram. <laughs> yeah. Now you might think... We've seen the childhood of everybody in Passione, obviously, but wait, one's missing. Mm-hmm. It's Bruno's turn. We get to, we get to learn about baby, baby Bruno. Child Bruno's character design is the rival <laughs> in a card game anime that falls to the dark side but gets <laughs> redeemed by his love of the game in the end. Yeah, it really is. Yes. God. Yeah. Okay. He's had the same goddamn hairstyle since he was, like, eight years old, basically. He's just missing a couple little extra bits of flair to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, But Bruno was the son of a fisherman. The only boy who could ever reach me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he, he, as a kid, would help his dad with uh, fishing a lot. uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you know, putting out traps out on the beach and all that. Uh, his dad was a hardworking man who was just kind of a little stern and maybe a little cold. He he was he was very de- like just focused on working hard to feed his family, and so he was he raised kinda, by a Hank Hill. Yeah, he was raised by a Hank Hill. <laughs> but uh, once the sun went down, little Bruno loved uh, uh, his bedtime stories with mommy as well. Mm-hmm. They they were a idyllic, happy family until they weren't. <sighs> By the way, the storybook his mom is reading from is called My Father's Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when Bucciarati was seven years old, his parents went through a divorce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, his mom specifically uh, wanted something better and more exciting in life. She was sick of the fishing village. And so they ask Bruno to decide whether he will live the the idyllic fishing village life with his dad or join mommy on her discovery of self-realization in the big city. Mm -hmm. And Bruno chooses dad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he thinks to himself, I'm going with dad because mom is strong, but dad needs me. Yeah, yeah. Mom can definitely handle living her like Emily in Paris dreams alone. But dad would be devastated by, like, Ernest Hemingway ennui without little Bruno. <laughs> yeah. When he makes that decision, his mom is just like, are you sure? Are you triple, <laughs> double sure? Like, there's going to be lots of kids to play with in the city. And it's, like, she really tries to get him to change his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for being seven years old, Bruno is uh, a very logical child yeah he's bruno uh, bucciarati yes he is <laughs> he, i guess he was like this from the the instant he left the womb huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you did not want to play like touch football against bruno's team you would die Oh god yeah and so yeah he stays with his dad there's a scene of his mom saying goodbye and that she'll visit every month and all that and uh but that she only, didn't that only lasted for so long Because she got remarried, and then they only saw each other at Christmas. Yep. But now that uh, they're divorced, Bruno's dad got very motivated to, like, provide for his son and, like, get him, send him to a really good school. 
which is to say a really expensive school. So he has mm-hmm. to do more than just fish. He's fishing and renting out his boat to tourists and renting himself out as a guide to fishing interested tourists. Yeah, take, taking photos for tourists and all that. While slightly older but still very young Bruno has, has discovered his signature coat pattern already. Yes, yeah, the little watermelon seeds all over his all over himself. <laughs> Uh, one day, two tourists come out wanting to fish, uh, running the boat, and you can immediately tell they're bad men in the way they're drawn. <laughs> they got weird, beady little eyeballs. They got weird facial hair. They're they're bad guys. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And they want to go out to this island that's off in the distance, and Bruno's dad's like, that's, that's not a good place to fish. There's no point to go out there. <laughs> and they're just like, we don't fucking care. We're going to this island. And... Bruno's dad, like, he needs the money, so he's like, okay, we're going to this island. So while on that island, he gets shot seven times while witnessing a drug deal, which I assume involved kids. Yeah, and so Bruno's dad is, he was re- got rescued by the Coast Guard and, you know, wheeled to the hospital to, the, to get emergency surgery since he's got nine fucking bullet wounds. At some point, uh, the narrator congratulates the Coast Guard on being so good at first aid, or he sh- would have surely <laughs> yeah. died. Yeah, they had the life-saving tools required, yeah. <laughs> Little baby Bruno is just waiting outside the, the operating room, just, you know, his mind racing, like, how, how could something this terrible uh, happen? And that's when he's approached by, like, a, uh, a police officer or a detective saying, like, hey... We're, you know, we're really rooting for your dad to make it through. He's a very important witness to a crime. Trench coat, hat, the whole thing. He's the most detective-y detective in all yep. of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I mean, he might be the only detective, actually. We don't see a lot of detection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of cops, no detectives. And Bruno's dad survives. N- none of the bullets hit any, like, major organs somehow. So uh, he was able to pull through. And this is why Bruno has such an immediate kinship with Mista to recruit him just by reading about him in the newspapers. (laughs) Yeah. But now with all this stuff that's happened regarding like Bruno's dad seeing this drug deal and stuff, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, the narrator says uh, it may have been better for Bruno if his dad did die because there are difficult situations in life that it's hard to choose the right path because like the lines get blurred and, and all that. Because uh, one night, those two guys who did the drug deal, they come back to silence Bruno's dad in the hospital. They just climb in through a window, ready to just stab this dude. But Bruno is sleeping under the bed and stabs one in the throat and the chest and the eye. And (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, this part's pretty brutal. Because, like, Bruno doesn't even just stab this dude in the chest and he's dead. He, like, stabs him in the chest and then just keeps dragging the knife upwards like he's about to sever this entire this dude's entire left arm off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, then he just... The other drug dealer, like, just sits there going, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, he just seeing this little, like, 12-year-old <laughs> stabbing a dude and just chopping cleaving him in half with a knife... Before he could do anything, yeah, he just gets a knife plunged all the way to the hill into his eyeball. And so then Bruno decides, uh, hey, I can't go back from this. I can't trust Mm -hmm, cops. mm -hmm. The only way my dad will survive uh, and not get killed by different hitmen is if I go and get protection from the mafia. Time to join the mafia. 
So, of course, because he is he, uh, he, he becomes uh, an incredible rising star. He catches the eye of Polpo, and he climbs the ranks, th- this little teeter-tot of a mafia boy, until uh, five years later, five years into his organized crime career, his father does pass away. Mm-hmm. By the way, his suit he wears to, like, the funeral is basically just his normal suit, but inverted colors. So they're yes! black with white watermelon <laughs> seeds on it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's very good. But he's actually wearing a shirt underneath it. This is a yeah, solemn yeah. occasion after Yeah, he's all. actually got a shirt and tie on under the, under there. But he never lost uh, uh, his moral core. Quote, Bucciarati despised the white powder of greed. <laughs> yeah. What a great thing to call drugs. The white powder of greed. Yeah. Uh, if that's not on the D.A.R.E. curriculum, they, they are uh, <laughs> leaving things out. Oh, man. And so we go forward in time a bit until we see uh, Bruno on another job beating up a dude in an alley and noticing this dude has little uh, plastic baggies full of the white powder of greed. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're like falling out of his pocket. And Bruno goes like, hey, what the fuck is this? You know, drugs are essentially what killed my dad. And you're telling me the boss, who I love so much, is selling these drugs? I thought these were prohibited from selling in the mafia. Turns out the mafia sells drugs, too. This is surprising to a guy in the mafia for at least five years. <laughs> oh, man. That that pisses Bruno off. He feels betrayed by the boss. And there's a bit here where, in his rage, he crushes one of these bags of, of drugs and it sends the you know the powder flying everywhere and it completely covers the screen and that's our transition back to the present. <laughs> a cocaine <laughs> wipe. <laughs> <laughs> so so yes, uh between the betrayal of joining the narcotics trade back then and now delivering Trish on a silver platter for murder now means fuck the boss forever, fuck him, just just fuck the boss. No boss. Yes. Quote, this is the second time you've betrayed my heart. <laughs> yes. And so he he punches a, a zipper open in the, the floor of the elevator, and he's able to spot like the, the, the shadow, the silhouette of the boss, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like riding down a, a rail in the elevator shaft down to the floor below, and he's got Trish with him. He really just assumes it's the boss, and he's correct, but... At this yeah. point, as a viewer, there's no reason this couldn't be Gothchester. There's still one more assassin <laughs> yeah. out there. Yep. Uh, and so he spots this guy, and he takes the uh, ladybug button from Giorno, and he just drops it down the shaft, and it sticks to the boss's butt. Yes. So so Giorno is tracking his ass, uh, quite literally. <laughs> and so Bruno is thinking out his next move, and like, yeah, yeah, the, the boss still assumes I'm loyal to him. Just as long as I assume he didn't hear anything I've said out loud over the last <laughs> few minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a loud-ass motorcycle outside. Um, and so, yeah, he begins to, to pursue. There's a pretty good way he descends down the elevator shaft. Like, there's a mm-hmm. big, you know, cable running down. But he doesn't, doesn't grab that with his hands. He puts a zipper on it and grabs onto the, the zipper pole and unzips himself down the cable and, you know, starts zipping through walls and stuff and he finds a uh there's like a little cupboard mm-hmm. that's slightly ajar when he opens that he sees a, a hole has been punched through that that leads to a stairway that leads down into the crypt beneath this this cathedral and monastery here yeah 
So he he uses his zipper to like take a shortcut ahead, get down faster than the boss can get down, just you know walking down the stairs. Mm-hmm. So in this crypt, uh, uh, it is dank and dark, and there are just big uh, uh, pillars. Uh, everywhere regularly. And so Bruno is hiding behind one of these pillars that's something like eight feet in diameter. They are huge. These are huge pillars. And yeah, he's specifically hiding at the very top of it because there's like a little outcropping he can stand on. And so the boss gives him one last warning. He he knows he's in there. Like, uh, 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 you walk away and I will let you walk away. That That's that's all you got to do. And yep. Bruno doesn't listen. This is this is when he like affirmatively like crosses the line. This is the, the no take backs yep. moment when he sends out sticky fingers and it's fucking great. Yeah, it rules. And so, yeah, he comes around that corner, throwing out a big punch with sticky fingers and as he's doing that, where the boss was, you know, he was holding on to Trish. Now Trish is just there and she's fallen to the floor. Mm-hmm. And as his sticky fingers like punch becomes fully extended, a set of hands just appear from behind the other side of the pillar and grab sticky fingers arms or mm-hmm. arm and just starts pulling it like trying to break his arm off. Yeah, yeah. Trying to bend the elbow the wrong way uh, uh, using this pillar as like the, the pressure point. Yeah. Uh, but but Bruno's prepared for this. He, you can't beat him quite so simply. He punches no. himself in the arm to unzip it, so <laughs> the, the pressure <laughs> is relieved. Yeah, and then punches the pillar itself in a couple places to to unzip a huge giant disc that probably weighs at least two tons <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. slide down and and crush this unseen assailant. Yeah, uh, and he goes to check on trish he zips her severed hand back onto her arm and as he's doing that the the boss begins to speak again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and before he can even get like a full sense out like sticky fingers is punching every pillar that's nearby you know chopping up <laughs> unzipping more discs out of it to to like remove any cover this guy might have but he's he's just nowhere to be seen I like the boss's monologue here because he's just musing aloud, wondering what reason Bruno could have for for, uh, this betrayal. And every idea he comes up with is some sort of personal gain. Like he Mm. he cannot conceive, or at least he doesn't want to say that he can conceive of like, no, people who murder their own kids are bad and they should be stopped (laughs) as as just a a, a matter of course. Yeah. And so... You know, he says all of this and Bruno just says, hey, when Trish wakes up, I'm going to tell her her dad never showed up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the the boss is just like, why, why do you even fucking care about her? She has nothing to do with you. And Bruno replies with, you'll never understand my mind. As he <laughs> grabs a zipper, a little zipper pull on the tip of his chin and unzips a side of his face and a cell phone falls out of his head. <laughs> Because Giorno has been listening the whole time. He said empty pockets. He didn't say anything about empty heads. Bruno never goes anywhere with an empty head. (laughs) And so, yeah, Giorno is is tracking the boss. He immediately tells Bruno where he is. Mm -hmm, Bruno mm -hmm. punches the the pillar the boss is hiding behind, and you just barely get to see his face. Giorno uh, uh, advises caution, which is also advice Bruno doesn't take. Uh, Yes. (laughs) 
And so uh, uh, he he lands his big punch rush on this figure behind the pillar, but it's not the boss. It's himself. Ah! Ah! Yes. Uh, Bruno sees himself in front of him. And then as that happens, slowly the the version that we thought was Bruno throwing out those punches fades away. And the Bruno that he was seeing is the real one all of a sudden. And this is when we see the boss's stand looming behind Bruno. And we get it named. This is King Crimson. I think called Emperor Crimson in the localization. Pretty good. Pretty good. It's Uh, fine. But King Crimson just sounds a lot cooler. Yes. And in King Crimson's ability, uh, quote, obliterated time and leapt beyond it. Yes. I do enjoy going beyond the time. This this is just for me. <laughs> yeah. He can change the destiny, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and so as he says, like, hey, I just obliterated time and jumped ahead. Uh, he punches Bucciarati clean through from, from the back. But slowly, not, not in one quick yes. blow like we've seen it before. It's just like a pressing... And, and like you see the bulge in his gut until the fist comes all the way through with some yes. terrible noises. <laughs> Just yeah, the it's, worst noises. It's rough. And so this episode ends on a cliffhanger of Bruno going, ah! His blood <laughs> just geysers and geysers of blood shoot out of his gut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that brings us straight to episode uh, uh, 21, the, the Mystery of King Crimson. And uh, King Crimson, of course, named for the band King Crimson, another mm-hmm. uh, another uh, prog rock band from, from Britain that started in the late 60s. But, but, this one's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, uh, my listen to King Crimson this week. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man, banger of a song. Hell yes. Yep. Describing what King Crimson looks like, Okay. Yes. Um, okay. So evil clown, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like yeah, uh, uh, evil Renaissance clown. He he yeah. is primarily red, but with like white diamond uh, crisscross patterns, very, very like Harlequin style. Yeah, and he's got evil little beady eyes that are very far apart because I guess the the most um, prominent feature uh-huh. <laughs> is that his face has a second face. <laughs> Yes, there is a smaller angry <laughs> face on his forehead. Okay, so uh, take take the screaming face from the K- King Crimson Epitaph-like album art, uh-huh, that uh-huh. face, and just put it on King Crimson's forehead. Yeah. That's the face. Yeah. I- imagine the, the forehead jewel on a typical Gundam face, but yeah. you make it like lime jello green and move it a little farther down the forehead, and that's a face now. Yep. King Crimson always has an angry grimace going on. His teeth are always exposed. And yeah, otherwise he has kind of like some small bits of like like gray armor on, like shoulder pads, like knee pads, stuff like that. His, his torso is honestly kind of segmented like the torso on some more pos- posable action figures would be. Mm-hmm. Where the, you know, the chest is kind of resting on top of a torso underneath it. And there's like, you know, that, that kind of thing going on. Uh, but yeah, Evil Clown is kind of close, Renaissance Clown. <laughs> it's got no nose. It looks so evil with no nose. Ne- yeah, this, neither face yeah. has a nose. Nope. But yeah, th- this episode starts immediately with the OP again. 
Uh, we start with some happy time music, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we've got to we got to find out what's been happening in in the motorboat. Meanwhile, uh, uh, all the action's been happening, and the boys are just being boys. They're fighting over chocolates. Narancha and Mista, yeah, are arguing over a box of chocolates, while Giorno is tempting fate by sitting on the steps. He is not on the boat as as ordered. Yeah. So this is just minutes before the fight starts with between the boss and, and Bruno. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, Giorno is already tracking, like sensing where the, the ladybug brooch is going while looking at this floor plan. Yeah, he knows he got dropped on a butt. Yep. So, so Fugo is asking for Giorno to hand him a bottled water while also chiding him. Be like, ah, 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 you got to stay on yep. the boat. Rules is rules. But very suddenly... The chocolates are in Narancha's mouth, and the water bottle is in Fugo's hand. Yeah, and Giorno's is very confused. Like, I do not remember giving you that water bottle. I just literally picked it up. And Narancha does not remember eating the chocolates. In fact, uh, uh, before he realizes his mouth is full, he sees the empty box and is like, Misto, what'd you fucking do to these chocolates? <laughs> yeah. And then Giorno looks at his, his hand and, like, his, his lap, and there's little kitty paw prints all over it because the cats that were uh, that have been in the background for a while, uh, they have somehow moved all the way to the end of the pier where they're eating a fish. Uh, so I guess the cats were important. I take it back. We all yep. love the stray kitties. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he remarks to himself, something bizarre is going on. Wow. He said it. <laughs> he, he said, said the it. Line. He said it. You want to know what's really bizarre? What? In this moment, Narancha is a chocolate orange. Whoa, you're right. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. <laughs> and so when Giorno, when Giorno says, like, hey, there's something bizarre going on, he gets off the boat and gets on, onto the island again, onto the pier. And Abakio goes like, hey, dickhead, wh- <laughs> what did we fucking tell you? And he goes to reach out and grab Giorno's shoulder. And as, like, in the middle of his sentence, he jumps from being on the boat to being all the way over at Giorno, grabbing him by the shoulder, and he's just like, what? <laughs> and, like, when that happens, there's, like, a very quick, like, glitch effect over the entire screen as everything is suddenly a couple seconds ahead in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is when Giorno goes, oh, fuck, Bruno. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> So, so he rushes forward. We're, we're hearing Giorno's side of the phone conversation. You know, I, I see him behind the pillar. Bruno, be careful. Wait, don't. And, but as we know, Bruno, wait, does. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and so back in the present with all this time skipping, uh, Bruno turns his gut hole into a zipper. There's still yes. a Stan's arm through it. So he's not doing this to heal himself, but instead to uh, uh, anchor King Crimson to his body by yes. like gumming up his arm in the teeth as, as a grip. Yeah. And so that he's able to use sticky fingers to elbow King Crimson in the ribs a couple of times. And every time he gets elbowed, like... He doesn't move anywhere because his arm is just caught in this dude's torso. It's so great. But he he eventually gets his arm free. And this is when Bruno turns around just to give a, a big old punch rush directly to King Crimson. And as he's about to do this, this is when we get to see in full King Crimson's ability. Yes, uh, yes. So I'm very curious how this is portrayed in panels. Because yes. it seems clear enough in motion. Yep. 
because of the motion, which is why I'm very curious about how, how this looks in the manga. Yeah. But uh, uh, now that we're seeing it from King Crimson or perhaps the boss's point of view, mm-hmm. King Crimson can see the future in a limited way, can see what is about to happen and then intervene, dodging blows before they happen. And the way we see this is sticky fingers in a red tint, you know, throwing uh, big devastating punches and then sticky fingers in full color, the real one following behind that that prediction that is the red yep. aura. Yeah. And when whenever King Crimson uses uses this power and we see it from his perspective, all of reality breaks away and they're just floating in space, like a time yes. space yes. void. <laughs> but the thing that makes it different from just, you know, limited prescience mm-hmm. is a, a, the time is in a sense, obliterated. Yes, uh, the consequences of actions remain, but the people around them do not remember how it happened. Like, yeah, they they essentially experienced lost time, like they got abducted by an alien. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, R- remember the chocolates, etc. Yeah. So the boss is explaining this with appropriately villainous aggrandizement you know <laughs> oh yeah oh he's yeah he's talking about how the sky doesn't know why the clouds break etc like okay mm-hmm. all right we get it you're very evil yes okay <laughs> so yeah we he simply just walks around sticky fingers and and bruno and watches them you know punch in slow motion and simply just gets behind bruno so that when time like resumes quote unquote Bruno is just punching empty air and and is very confused why he's punching that direction. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And he gets karate chopped so thoroughly. <laughs> this is a karate chop delivered by King Crimson that hits Bruno like in the shoulder and goes so deep. It goes like all the way down to his belly button almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a karate chop that like if it were placed slightly differently should have just obliterated bruno's heart <laughs> like well he unzipped his heart and put it like in a lockbox uh, yeah. somewhere else entirely yeah he put it in his face uh <laughs> i love that death cab song i will unzip your heart <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah bruno just collapses to the floor because he just got almost split clean in half mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. king crimson's ability is so cool though Okay, so King Crimson, for a long time, there's still a running joke that King Crimson is the most confusing stand ability because, for the longest time, the only way you could read Part 5 was that really uh, not good fan translation, which led the explanation to his stand ability being the most confusingly worded thing ever. (laughs) I wish I should have looked up how it was actually phrased, but it made it very hard to understand what the fuck was happening. For the longest time. I'm, I'm sure over the course of uh, the boss's remaining life, uh, mm-hmm. uh, th- there will be like little edge cases and surprise twists that, yeah. that add up into a, a strange and beautiful flow chart, much like Gold Experience. But oh, yeah. for now, it seems pretty simple and very effective. And yeah. one thing I really enjoy about it is it reminds me of the way Dio thought of time stoppage as his own personal world because yeah. while king crimson's ability is active the boss is the only living person in the world <laughs> yeah like 
it's never really said what the range of this ability is, but it seems like literally the entire universe experiences lost time <laughs> whenever he uses this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really fucking cool. But yes, as Bruno is collapsed to the floor, when he got karate chopped, that uh, also caused the the little ladybug brooch that was stuck to the boss to fall off. Yes. So so now that Bruno is down and, and Sticky Fingers is also, therefore, in no shape to fight, uh, uh, the, the boss shifts his focus to the real goal here, destroying Trish Una. Yeah, he gets ready to also just karate chop her into mm-hmm. oblivion. He feels his blood connection to her and is like, well, if this exists, you can probably feel, feel it too. So you got to fucking die. And he walks over and he gets zooped up into the brooch like a Ghostbusters trap. <laughs> yes, because Bruno didn't just give that that little ladybug button life in a vague sense. He specifically implanted it with cells uh-huh. from Coco Jumbo, the yes. turtle. And so, so, so that this <laughs> so that this button also has a Mr. President. Yes, there's two pop- Mr. Presidents. We're at a G8 summit over here. Yeah, Giorno, if he has the cells of a stand user, can apparently replicate stand powers temporarily, which is wild. <laughs> but yes, he he activated the brute to turn into Coco Jumbo and suck up the boss. A Mr. President Proximity Mine. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to say Mr. <laughs> President Proximity Mine. Uh-oh. <laughs> I can hear the guys coming up the stairs already. And so, yes, the boss gets sucked up into Coco Jumbo. And as he's getting sucked up, he just goes, what is happening? <laughs> so this emboldens Bruno. Uh, uh, it, it acts as a balm unto his soul as he stands up and says to himself, that man never ceases to stoke the courage within my heart. <laughs> and so like he unzips the floor and fo uh, fo jumbo uh, uh, falls <laughs> down into a very fast moving sewer to get flushed away yep. far, far away. And he places Trish under the protection of his own mandate. Three steps from death, he is still vowing, like, that, that now, th- this is my responsibility, my girl. Not not as an agent of Passione, but as me, Bruno Buccia fucking Roddy. <laughs> yep. And so Bruno can barely move, but he's grabbing Trish and slowly dragging her along the floor as he can't even, like, stand up all the way, trying to get her up the stairs. But as he's just a few steps up, oh shit, there's King Crimson again. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because like he knows how the turtle works so he just jumped out of the turtle and used his powers to get back here pretty quick just jump right outside a coco duo or whatever we're gonna call this thing yeah you know king crimson's just like you're not gonna fucking you know get away from me he goes in for a punch and as he's like you know talking to bruno we can see that he's like secretly unzipping and unraveling one of his arms into a hole he has zipped behind unzipped behind him in the stairs that you know just from the perspective of of the boss he can't see what if what if you took metal Uh gear rising and you turn it into (laughs) the bruno game oh man you're not slicing everything you're unzipping everything oh man that would be cool as hell it would be so good it would be cool as shit. Bruno has a really good move set for an action video game, man. Right? Like, uh, I want to play as Bruno in a game. God, there'd be so many good traversal mechanics and shit. Yeah, like, 
is perfect. Mista 2 would be really good in a game. Oh, yeah. The the idea of, like, puzzles in a, a scripted game, in, like, an adventure-style game, uh, mm-hmm. limitless for uh, uh, Moody Blues, and also gold experience, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no immediately apparent uh, way, at least, to do gold experience in, like, a character action game that doesn't make you think, like, this is only, what, a quarter of gold experience? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as puzzles, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even the Rancha could work pretty good as in a video game. Oh hell yeah. Like that that's the shooter sequence. That's your that's your soliton radar function. Like So by the way, there uh all of part five actually got adapted into an action game on the Dreamcast. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Uh and it's basically just a series of boss fights, uh, with tons of cutscenes. Well, yes, that's what JoJo's is. There's no mooks, there's no yeah, minions. But it's like kind of a janky game, but it looks really good for the time. Like it's just <laughs> like a cell shaded hand drawn textures to make it look like the manga, and it holds up really well visually. I th- forget if there was a English version or if there was just a fan translation patch or whatever, but it's easily playable. Maybe we should check that out sometime. Actually, <laughs> so once again, our hero and our villain are facing down one another. Uh, on opposite ends of the staircase. But Bruno's got something up his sleeve because he's Mm. figured out how King Crimson works because he's been hearing monologue after monologue about how (laughs) King Crimson works. Yep. And his confidence comes from the fact that a peep forward is actually not that big a deal. He This is a stand that is uh, uh, remarkably weak to JoJo's trick. Yes, because you can can see... Like, literally, physically, what's going to happen, but you can't see the intent behind the actions, mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm. You can't so see like, what might be hidden behind what's going to happen slightly outside your five to ten second window. Yeah. And so, like, what Bruno has been doing, he, yeah, he's got this whole sneakily unzipped behind him. He's unraveling one of his arms into this zipper hole because there's another zipper hole to the left of the boss that he is not aware of and he uses these two zipper holes to basically do like a portal puzzle move mm-hmm. <laughs> so his unzipped arm goes into one zipper hole and comes out the other so that it can do a surprise punch from the side a surprise and it connects. rocket punch out of a portal yes yes and it, it actually connects. It, it hits King Crimson in the jaw, but shortly after impact, King Crimson, you know, activates his ability. He steps out of the way, and he can see the arm, the rocket punch, is just going to harmlessly fly out of the way and hit a, a stone pillar and, and, and cause it to unzip. And yeah, deliver this massive, massive zipper that would have cut him in half. And he's like, "Woo! almost got me. That was a close one. Too bad mm-hmm. I'm fucking invincible. And Bruno's like, <laughs> Guess what, asshole? I was trying to put a giant zipper on this wall. Yep. And and lift out of it like a fucking zip line, uh, uh, do, doing yes. his uh, elevator cable move in reverse to go vertically up through the ceiling into the monastery proper. Yep. So, yeah, as Bruno, you know, pulls himself all the way at the pillar and, and jumps through the hole in the ceiling and, and zips it up. Uh, King Crimson is just staring in rage, and what a face it is. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and at this point, Giorno has finished his his race inside to find them, sees them them like 
lying down, both uh, uh, Bruno and Trish in a bad way. So so he finds them. He stuffs something in a Bruno's gaping hole. I know what I said. Shut up. <laughs> uh, but it but it might be too late because we're seeing the soul mist. Yep, soul mist. The the zippers that Bruno had created on the floor and around Trish's arm disintegrate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His eyes fade. Uh, there, there's a fly landing on his face. He's dead, Jim. That's the that's the end. Yep. Jorno's just like fuck, but like you know, I gave him the whole the life touch. He's got the life touch. He should be good. I filled him with brand new replacement parts. Yeah. And as Jorno is dealing with this, we can see King Crimson is slowly climbing up the hole created by my capo was still under warranty. Come on. <laughs> These are factory direct replacement parts. <laughs> the relationship Giorno must have to life. Like after yeah. after this double jumbo move, after after he figures out cloning, like mm-hmm. there's definitely a second Giorno like back at his dorm that he just uses <laughs> for spares, right? There's got to be. There's got to be. It's, it's the Giorno he makes to do his homework for him, yeah. Like, he's got to have a completely different sense of, of selfhood and what the relationship to his own body is from any person on Earth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, man, the, the more you think about gold experience, <laughs> the crazier it gets. <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, cradling Bruno's body, like, trying to wake him up. And this is when you see Bruno's soul floating in the background. Yes. Telling Giorno. It's the first ghost of part five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, the, the soul of Bruno is just telling Giorno, like, just grab Trish and get out of here. Mm-hmm. And, like, Giorno looks behind him like, what? Did I just fucking hear the ghost of Bruno? What the fuck? And that's when... Trust the, the force, Luke. Turn off your targeting computer. Yes. Yep. And that's when uh, the real Bruno wakes up... <laughs> And reiterates what he just said. <laughs> so Sojourno is is caught in a situation where he has two people to help out, but he needs to, to get everybody's attention. How does he do that? Well, he picks up that laptop that he carried in here, and he turns it into a flying fish as he throws <laughs> it, just flings it uh, uh, down the hallway. But not permanently, because as soon as it uh, bounces around a corner, it turns back into a laptop so it can shatter, making a noise to grab everyone's attention. I would simply make some type of animal that makes loud noises. (laughs) I would simply bring a whistle. (laughs) Well, a whistle can't live, so what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Just just make that one uh, uh, monkey or whatever with the big sack on its throat that goes like, ooh. That's what I would do. I'd make one of those. <laughs> oh yeah, the big sack monkey. We love we love a big sack <laughs> a monkey. Big sack monkey. You know that one. <laughs> what, what sound does the sack monkey make again? <laughs> it inflates the sack and it goes like ooh. <laughs> it's the noise it makes. I swear to God. What happens if it's... I type in? Big sack monkey into Google. The sound of your sack monkey sounds like it saw somebody (laughs) get yelled at by a teacher. (laughs) It's a gibbon, a gibbon. (laughs) That one. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, Jorno didn't do any of that shit. He made a flying fish. Um, And that does successfully get everyone's attention. 
And this is like at the same time that King Crimson is beginning to, he, he's hanging off the ledge of the hole. Like he could just pull himself up and he'd be right next to everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the boss just thinks to himself, ah, shit, there's like six guys there. And he doesn't think six guys can kick my ass. He thinks six guys will see my face eventually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, he just lets them go and they all run back to the boat. And now Bruno is speaking openly about finding the boss's identity and weaknesses as their next step. And everybody mm-hmm. else is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yep. Why Why is that a thing we need to do? That's against the rules. Yep. And that's when we get our mid-episode title card with King Crimson on it. Uh, mm-hmm, it gives mm-hmm. us question marks for all of his stats. <laughs> I bet they're good ones. I bet they're, like, really good. They're probably all really good. He looks like he punches as hard as Star Platinum, basically. And he could do all the time bullshit. So, like, yeah. And so, yes, now they're all back at the boat. They've laid the unconscious Trish in the boat. And Bruno's just saying, I can't explain everything right now. We have to leave or else we're going to fucking die in, like, five seconds. And he just tells everybody, hey, this is, I know this is a big deal. If any of you come and join me, you will be marked as a traitor of the mafia. So most of you should just, like, not. This is my thing. I love the way the the five of them are posed, like, on the steps like an album cover. It's so yeah. good. They're all looking in different directions at different heights. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, when Bruno announces his betrayal, he is met with denial. Like, they do not believe it. There's there's no way they thought this is what the plan was. Yep. And so Giorno insists he explain so that, like, okay, you got to make a decision. They need to make an informed decision. So uh, that is when Bruno collapses. <laughs> yep. He gets dizzy uh, and, and falls to his knees and... Giorno is concerned because he's like, hey, I just filled him up with completely new body parts and replaced all the tissue and, and blood and all that. He should just feel right as rain. And this is when he notices that when Bruno fell down, his hand landed on like a shark jagged rock that pierced all the way through his hand. And Bruno didn't feel it and no blood came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like now I'm wondering if he zipper traded body parts at some point. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, may- maybe King Crimson's other ability is the second head crawls inside you or so. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Anything could have happened down there. Yeah. But Giorno's very confused and, like, concerned about the state of Bruno right now. And so now we have what's honestly a very emotional, dramatic scene. It's just everybody laying out, like, like what they believe in and what they are and aren't prepared to do. And Bruno just comes mm-hmm. clean like, hey... I can no longer serve a daughter murderer. I, it's just not what I'm about, guys. Yep. He's like, yeah, if, if you want to defect, if, if, you're, if you're down with that, get in the motorboat. And everybody turns their back on him. Yeah. And so, so Fugo, of course, is the first to speak. And he is taking the logical approach as always. Passione is too big. It is too powerful. The only uh, uh, way to be safe uh, uh, and not live like a hunted criminal for the remainder of your very, very short life is is to stick with them. And hey, we do really sleazy, nasty, violent crime all the time. What's <laughs> one murdered daughter compared to everything else we do? And Bruno yeah. doesn't have an answer for that, except it just is. Yep. This is this is Bruno's line, basically. So Abakio goes to to sit down on like one of those little posts he tied the rope to on the pier. Um, mm-hmm. 
and Abakio is saying, like, hey, I never s- explicitly pledged my allegiance to you, Bruno. I, you know, I pledged my allegiance to the mafia as a whole. Yeah, I, I, uh, my loyalty is the biggest, strongest, most powerful hunk of daddy. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love authority so much. But then he says, on the other hand, you guys are basically my family. And without you guys, like, I don't got shit. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so Abakio is the first to get on the boat. Again, just like Fugo, we're, we're seeing so much change from where they were in, in their flashbacks through this life in the crew. He's mm-hmm. now like, yeah, I'm a rule breaker. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back on my word if I want to. Hell yes. This is yeah. so liberating for me. And like when he gets on the boat, he basically says he can only rest or like feel comfortable in life if he's with Bruno. Yes, he's like, the, damn. The, the man that made him whole again. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yep. So Mista, no question where Mista's going. He is on that boat for the gamble. Because if they come out on top, there's a whole lot of money and a whole lot of power going to be up for grabs. Oh, yeah. He wants to get in on the ground floor of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Narancha, sweet baby Narancha, he can't choose. Yep. He can't choose. He needs to be told. He's asking for a, an order. And Bruno's like, no, the best I can do is advice. Stick with Fugo. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he does say, like, this isn't your fight. You should probably, you know, not get on the boat. But it's it's up to you to decide your fate in life. There's a very important difference in the uh, uh, adaptation here. There, There's a line mm. that was dropped from the manga that I think is very significant. And around this point is when Fugo in the source material points out they've only known Trish for two days. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder they're all insane. They've been driven mad by sleep deprivation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that gets changed in in the adaptation to be like, well, okay, first, right before that, you know, Fugo's just telling everyone who's gotten on the boat, like, you guys are insane. You're going to get killed and all of this. You know, Bruno just responds with, you know, that that may be so, but I cannot lie to myself. I have to live my truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is when they, they start up the boat and they start driving away, leaving Fugo and Narancia behind. And this is, yeah, when Fugo says, this is insane. This girl you just met, you've barely spoken to her. You don't even know what music she likes. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta remember, they're like 17, 20. <laughs> that's true, that's true. It's a big, important it's a part. a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and so, yeah, as they're just like sailing off into the distance in this strange, uh, uh, newly hostile world, Bruno says, our departure will mark the beginning of our lives as traitors to the mafia. <laughs> yeah. And and poor Narancia, stay, staying on shore. He's not sure like Fugo is. He's still, like, shaking. And he thinks back to everything he knows of Trish. Someone who he, he has exchanged no words with. Yep. They almost stabbed each other that one time. That is yes. fair. But yeah. since then, very little interaction between the two of them. But, like, specifically Narancia watching the boat speed off, he sees the, the zipper around... Uh, you know, connecting her hand back to her arm, and he Narancia like falls to his knees, like or, or falls onto all fours, and he gets a couple quick flashbacks of his own life and being betrayed by a bunch of people when he was mm-hmm, younger. Mm-hmm. 
and seeing like, oh man, she got betrayed by someone she loved and 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 trusted just like I did. That's horse shit. I cannot let this stand. And this is when he jumps into the water and starts swimming yeah, really fast yeah. towards the boat. It's really good. And F- Fugo gets like his last line here, seeing him seeing himself as the only one with even the smallest ounce of sense, quote, I mm-hmm. won't be a righteous idiot. Yeah. Oh, oh, man, it's tearing me up inside. Yep. So, yeah, they, they stop the boat. They let Narancha get on and they, they speed off together as the, the new group. We, we've lost Fugo, who has stayed behind right at the very, very end here. As the camera pans out onto the, the city, we hear the boss or we hear a phone call where uh, a person named Squalo is being told, like, hey, we've got some traitors in the mafia. Their names are, you know, this, this, mm-hmm. and this. Get some guys out to kill these dudes. Direct order from the boss. Dead or alive, yes. We, we haven't even finished the first crew. There's still one guy left out yep. in the wind there's somewhere. And now Still there's a, one member. And now there's a second crew coming after him. And that is the end of these two episodes. That's it. That is uh, episodes 20 and 21. Man, <laughs> this part uh, uh, really is big swings, all or nothing. Oh, At least yeah. the, the, the way we're cutting it up. Because like, I think we said this off mic, but I would have enjoyed the Jockeo fight much more if it wasn't tied with, in, in our format, for our purposes, the, the baby face fight. Right, yeah. But, you know, that's the way it worked. And, you know, in, in my memories, in my heart, eh, it's still uh-huh. too bound up for me to think of it as, as its own distinct thing. But now this one, which is distinct, which does have that separation, this is the good shit. This is absolutely this is, the good shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, these two episodes are really good. The whole final bit of just the whole team dealing with like, hey, we're traitors now. Who wants to join is really well done. And and that this was held out so much longer than I assumed it would have been. I thought like, yeah, this argument would or, or this reveal would have happened maybe piecemeal, maybe bit by bit. Uh, uh, but at some point between now and then. But no, it's all right yeah. now. <laughs> yep. And it's like like 40 percent of the runtime of that second episode is just them dealing with that like they actually give it the amount of time it's it's needed mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to really make it work and it's also like where all the flashbacks and everyone's stories like pay off in full i think compare it to a something that could have been similar like a long-term secret being revealed and and uh the members of the group reacting differently avdol's actually alive by the way yeah yeah completely different sense completely mm-hmm. different <laughs> Yeah. This, like, respects that. Frankly, I'm surprised, and maybe it says something about how much they all believe in Bucciarati, that no one had, like, a personal, no one voiced a personal offense at having the secret kept from them. They're they're just like, I get it, I'm with you, or I'm not for X, Y, and Z reason, instead of, you fucking lied to me for how long? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and maybe that'll come up later. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it does, but... Even if it doesn't, I understand it because they're all so very loyal to Bruno. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just just a lot that's done really well. Even though Trish doesn't get a lot of actual, like, lines in this, she still gets some good character bits here, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right before the elevator and on it. I really like the fight with King Crimson. That's really cool. 
it's it's kind of cool to actually get a real fight with the the main antagonist now rather than always having to wait until the very end for that to happen i mean i guess there's a fight in the middle with uh kira as well in part four but you know getting an actual fight with him and and escaping from it is cool and even though it was like in a weird way still had teamwork in this fight yeah yeah even though it was big time like bruno bruno scenes like it still had some cool like giorno moments in it more more of a train style uh uh, tag you're in teamwork than say yeah uh uh, giacchio you know side by side cooperation but it's there it's definitely there yeah bruno's cool he's just cool (laughs) bruno's incredibly cool like yeah i was i was thinking about this earlier just the way that uh uh, bruno and really the the team in general but we've seen it most from Bruno and also Mista, the way they are ready to destroy themselves <laughs> yes. for their goals. Uh, uh, I realized I, I wrote a game about that. That's that's what last shooting is available yeah, now on yeah. each and drive through RPG. But <laughs> if you are playing that game and if you are playing to win, particularly in the uh, in the third scene. Mm-hmm. The way to do it is to absolutely wreck your own shit so bad. <laughs> and and the way it works in Last Shooting, though, is that that is meant to like uh, uh, be part of a, a character change. Your, your pilot mm-hmm. will be a different person from when you started and when you finished playing the game. But in, in Golden Wind, it's like, no, that's just who they are. That, yeah. That's Bruno yeah. being even Brunoer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, one of the real standout differences from every other part is just how willing these people are to fuck themselves up to win. Like, in part six, from what I've seen of that, there, there's a bit of that for sure. But the part five lads are on a different level. Like, <laughs> they will just annihilate themselves. It never stops for the rest of part five. Like, Mista will constantly shoot himself to win. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think the these two episodes are really uh, a, a nice point in the story, too, where it's like, we, we've essentially gotten, like, the Stardust Crusaders-style stand user of the week, you know, trying to get to the main guy mm-hmm, journey. Mm-hmm. You go somewhere, and there's a guy waiting there to kill you. <laughs> yeah, and, like... And it's so regular, it's so constant to the point that the train fight feels like an exception because they weren't lying in wait. They just happened to arrive at the train the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we're still definitely getting stand of the week for you know the rest of the series too, but it's going to feel a little different now just because we've had this big turn in like the actual goals of the group as a whole. Yeah, now they're being honest with each other. Yeah. Now they're open. And like they're even more on the run now because it wasn't just a couple, uh, uh, a single group of freaks out to get them. Now it's literally the entire mafia. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it has a different feel to it. Spearheaded by this new group of freaks on the Revolver Ocelot phone call, I'd imagine. But but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's just like there's a different feel to to the story after this point because they're, it's things are even less mm-hmm. safe for them now. They have literally no backing from anybody. It's just them on their own. And I, I appreciate that like twist to the setup at this point. Because we're essentially roughly halfway through the story now. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, because it's 39 episodes. We've crossed the halfway point. Yeah. I'll probably save it for later episodes. But there were uh, some bits, some plot elements around this point that Araki originally planned for. 
and then decided to cut by the time he actually wrote this section. Ah, okay. And there's, there's still like a little bit of leftover bits from that, like still remaining in the story that when you look back on it, it's like, oh yeah, he may have actually been trying to do something with that, but then he changed his mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it'll be interesting to revisit these two episodes a little bit later on, yeah. Uh, but first, next week, we're going to be back with uh, with the following two episodes. That's The G in Guts and Clash and Talking Head, episodes 22 and 23. Hell yeah. I remember, but it's been so long to see them. They're almost essentially going to be new to me. So I'm very excited to see these again. Oh, and I think next week is when we get our new OP finally. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. I, I am looking forward to this new status quo, mm-hmm. uh, uh, new opening, always fun to, to have hints of what's to, to come beyond it. And yeah, maybe maybe now that there's one less guy in the van or boat or turtle <laughs> or train, I, I'm hoping that extra uh, air is taken up by, by Trish advocating for herself a little more. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, until then, see you next week to be continued.